Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. You know those moments when you realize that you're not totally in control of the situation you're in? A relationship isn't where you thought it would be, and there's only so much you can do because it takes two to make it right. Or a job is wearing on you more than you thought it would, but you can't change the circumstances. It's in those moments that we may face a tough reality. We can't always control how things go. Yet, we hear that God can, and He wants to bring His kingdom into full reality in our lives. But what does that look like, and how does it start? One theologian put it this way, Before we can pray, Lord, Thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, My kingdom go. We'll explore what this looks like in our lives today, and more in our current series, Thy kingdom come. Let's continue the upward journey. I'm excited to be here. Love being with y'all. God is doing so many wonderful things in our midst, we're seeing new people added every week. We're seeing people saved. We're seeing people healed by God's power. We're seeing families put back together. We're seeing incredible things happen as we serve Jesus together. And I want you to know how privileged I feel to be a part of it, and I know you do too. We're in the midst of a movement that God is doing, and we're really excited to just be a part of that. Today we're in part four and the conclusion of our series called Thy Kingdom Come. And the idea of this whole series is that Jesus has us praying daily, thy kingdom come, thy will be done for a reason. Because he actually wants to manifest his kingdom on this earth. He actually wants his will to be done on this earth as it is done in heaven. And we talked about through this series a couple of times that so many people's theology pushes all the blessings of God way out into the future. And it's almost like every blessing they see and every revival they see and every victory they see prophesied in the Bible, they say, yeah, that's good, but that's going to be in the sweet by and by. It's going to be bad down here until Jesus comes back. Now, I believe Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen? I believe Jesus is coming back. But I believe until he does, the church is to stand in victory the church is to live in power. The church is to manifest Jesus' authority on earth. People ask me sometimes, how are you encouraged? Well, I'm encouraged because I'm talking to the one every day who sits on the throne, who the whole world is under his feet, who is in authority and power. I'm talking to Jesus, and Jesus Christ is Lord over this earthly situation. I want you to hear me today. Jesus Christ is Lord over everything that's going on down here. You can call me crazy if you want to, but I believe God's about to do something big in our nation. I believe God's about to move upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here in the United States of America. I believe there is an awakening coming to the church. I believe all the noise that's around us is the devil's way of distracting us from what God is about to do. Believe all the political noise around us is the devil's way of getting our eyes off our true mission and getting us caught up in fights we don't need to be fighting. Oh, I just hurt some feelings right there, but it's okay. You'll be all right. Because I believe what God's going to do in this country is going to be supernatural. I don't believe we're going to say any one person solved it. We're not going to say one party solved it. The amens are getting less all along. <laughs> I don't care. 
When God does what He wants to do in this nation, we're all going to know that He did it. We're going to know that Jesus brought it to pass. Can I get an amen? amen? Don't you be discouraged. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be worried. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He's still here. And He still wants to use you to manifest His life in your community and in your world. We all have a desire to do that, whether we admit it or not, whether we're in touch with that desire or not. Now, we have desires that we're really aware of. You want to go to work? You want to take care of your family, right? You want to raise those children? God help you, you want to raise all those children? You want to keep them going along? You want to get them to church on Sunday morning? You want them to get dropped off at children's ministry? I ask parents all the time, I asked one this morning, where's the kids? He's in there screaming. <laughs> Sometimes it takes them a while to get in there, but boy, those kids love it when they get in there, and they're so loved. But it's stressful getting to church on Sunday with all the kids. You've got a job to do. You've got things to do. You've got all these things. You want them to be fine. You want to be promoted on your job. You want to provide well for your family. Underneath all of that, whether we acknowledge it or not, there's a desire in our heart to truly make a difference. We want our lives to count for something. We don't want to think we just came to this world and made a little bit of money and maybe got a house and a car and maybe had a family and that's the end of it. We want to know that our lives truly counted for something while we were here. I was watching an old, old newsreel the other day. Anybody here old enough to remember a guy named Charles Kuralt? Charles Kuralt used to travel America. He was an older man and he, he traveled America looking for these really cool stories. And I watched one the other day. He went to Belmont, North Carolina. It's been many years ago. And he met with a guy named Jethro Mann was the guy's name. And, and this man was probably close to retirement age when Keralt found him. And he had like 40 bicycles in his garage. And it intrigued Keralt, and he stopped by to find out the story. Well, here's the story. Jethro Mann had not had a bike when he was a kid. His family had not been able to afford a bike. So later he went to work, and he went to work, I believe, for the state of North Carolina, and he worked for many years. He had a fairly average income, but he devoted his extra time and all his extra money to kids in his neighborhood to make sure that every kid in his neighborhood had a bike. And I love this so much. He said this in the, in the report. He said, I can't solve all the big problems in the world, but I found one that I could, and I decided to solve that one. Does that resonate with anybody right now? I'm going to say something mean right now, but just hold on. There are people today commenting on the global economic structure who can't even make their own bed. If you can't even clean up your own room, we don't need your help on the global economy. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I believe Jesus is looking for more people to say, I may not be able to solve that problem up there, and I may be not able to solve that problem out there, but I'm going to find a problem that I can solve, and I'm going to give my life to it. 
That's what Jethro Mann did. He gave his life to that. He would buy old bicycles. He didn't have a lot of money. He would buy old bikes and fix them up in his garage at night. And then he created a lending library of bikes. And after school, kids would descend upon his house and they would check out a bike and they would ride it all evening and they had to bring it back at dark and sign it back in. He also taught the older kids to fix the bikes for the younger kids. They went back when he died. He died, I think, in 2013. They went back and revisited that town, and they had a man who was actually featured on the initial report. He was six in the initial newsreel. Now he was 36 years old. They interviewed him, and he said, I don't know of a person in this world who had a greater impact on my life than that man right there. They called him the bicycle man. He just decided he was going to make a difference in his world right where he was at. Too many of us are worried about problems that are way beyond our grasp, and we need to think about things that are right here in front of us. That's what Jesus has called us to do. He's called you to make an impact in your world. You say, what can I do? Individually, it may not look like much that we do, but when all of us get to working together and living for Jesus together in our community, I'm going to tell you, if just the people that I get to preach to this morning will decide they're going to go out in Henderson County and live fully for Jesus Christ, Henderson County will never be the same. It will never be the same if just we do it. But when we all jump in and solve the problems God has put in front of us, we can make an impact on this world. We're going to look at an example of Jesus. Last week, we looked at Jesus walking into a place called the Pool of Bethesda and healing a man who'd been lame for 38 years. Powerful story. This week, we're going to look at a different story, but it's much the same. The difference in this is it's, it's uh, probably at least several months, maybe a year after Jesus healed this lame man. It's been some time. And now Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. Jesus has now gone to heaven. And his, what I love about this story is that his disciples are now carrying on the work that he did. And that's exactly what he told them they would do. He didn't say, I'm going to do all these powerful miracles and then I'm going to leave you to just struggle along as best you can. He said, greater works than I did, you will do. So they saw what Jesus did and determine in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit that they would do the works of Jesus in their world. So we fast forward at least a matter of months to when Jesus has gone to heaven and Peter and John are walking together. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, we're going to look at it verse by verse today. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, I want you to notice this about Peter and John. They were good buddies. They went places together. In fact, they were the first two disciples to get to the empty tomb after Jesus rose from the dead. And I love it that John tells the story of him and Peter running to the tomb, and John had to include it in the Bible that he outran Peter. I love that. He said, the disciple that Jesus loved won the trophy. They were good friends. They were close. Peter and James and John were three close-knit disciples. James and John were brothers. 
They were so close. They were walking, and this is very interesting, they were walking into the Jewish temple, and it says they did this at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The Jews had very specific prayer times when they would gather together at the temple and pray. They would gather at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. Three times a day, the temple was open for prayer, and the Jews would gather together to pray to the Lord. If you remember in the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel prayed to God. He would open his windows and pray at those same times every day, morning, noon, and afternoon. He would pray to the Lord. What's interesting to me about this is that Peter and John had obviously found Jesus. They had become Christians. The Christian church was being established at that moment. But they didn't walk away from their spiritual disciplines that they had learned in their Jewish faith. They did not renounce their Jewishness to become a Christian. They simply realized this. They realized that the temple was the fulfillment, was the pointed to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of everything the temple stood for. <coughs> they recognized that the sacrifices in the temple pointed to the cross and the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So actually their prayer time in the Jewish temple was more meaningful because they knew the point behind it all now. But it's so interesting to me that they kept up their spiritual disciplines. They continued to go to the temple at the hour of prayer. Here's what I want you to see. If you want to be an impactful Christian for the kingdom, you'll be like Peter and John. And here's what's about them I want you to, point, I want you to see. They had a regular schedule for prayer. This miracle that took place, took place in the midst of a spiritual routine that they have. Now, nobody likes to say routine. Routines are boring. Routines are powerful. Do I need to come down there and amen myself? I can, get, I can still get down there. Routines are not boring, they're powerful. People say, well, I get in a routine and I feel like I'm just going through the motions. Go through the motions. A lot of times the reason we're failing is because we haven't gone through the motions. They scheduled a time with God. You need, you need a routine around some of the most passionate things in your life. Marriage gets routine. Whoa now, whoa now. Ooh. Brothers saying amen at a bad time right there. <laughs> Let's be honest. He's being honest. Marriage gets routine. There's some routines to getting married, to being married, right? Put the dishes in the dishwasher. Empty the dishwasher. I'm a part of that. Open the dishwasher. It's only half full. She didn't wash them. Here's, a, here's what I always say. This is free. I'm throwing this in for free, okay? This is, at, this is bonus. You'll get this at Upward. You won't get this anywhere else. You may not get this at other places. This is bonus information. It'll help you have a happy marriage. When you get dishes in the dishwasher, it doesn't have to be full for you to wash them. Because if you just wash them when it's half full... You'll cook supper and you won't have room for all the dishes and they'll be in the sink overnight. 
But when you get married to someone that feels like it has to be absolutely full before you can hit play, This is a word from the Lord. You wash them dishes. You wash them dishes. There's two plates in there. You wash them. We start a new series next week called Dollars and Cents. It's really going to be a lot of fun. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about getting out of a mentality of scarcity and moving into a mentality of generosity. So all you penny pinchers, you want to be here next week because God's going to move you away from scarcity and move you into generosity and blessing like you've never seen before. You're going to be set free to wash dishes when there's only three plates in there. Next week, you're going to get set free. Marriage is routine though, right? There's a lot of routine too. If you don't build healthy routines into your marriage, the romance in your marriage can just go to nothing. People say, Wait a minute, Pastor. We shouldn't have to schedule a time to pray. We should just love God so much that we pray all the time. Yeah, that's not reality. Reality is if you want to get something done, you put it in your calendar. Let me challenge you husbands to do something. I want to challenge you to visit with your wife tonight and say this. Honey, I want to put you on my calendar for the rest of the year. Hang on before you dismiss me. Hang on. I know how that sounds, but walk with me through this, okay? I know how it sounds. Walk with me through this. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Some of y'all's minds, I just have to to pray. (laughs) Somebody like, I already had that conversation. No, no, no. Listen to me. I want to have, I want to take you on a date. Ever so often for the rest of the year. Because I want to make sure we get this in our schedule and that nothing else interferes with it. All your dreams are going to come true. (laughs) You know why? I don't know of anybody who would take that as boring and routine. They would say, you're actually making me a priority. Could we put Jesus in our schedule like that? And just say, Jesus, we've got an appointment. Say, preacher, I've got to get up in the morning. I've got to get to work. I've got to get all these kids ready. I've got to get all this stuff. I'm not saying you take an hour every morning because for some of us, that's just unrealistic. But I'm saying make an appointment and keep it if it's five minutes. If you can make a five-minute appointment with Jesus every morning, it will change your life. And the five minutes are going to start turning into ten because you're going to love it so much. What I want you to get across in your mind, I want to get myself, is that Peter and John experienced this miracle in the midst of the routine. They had a spiritual routine. Then it said this in verse 2, And a man lame from birth was being carried. I want you to hear that. A man who was lame from birth. The guy last week that Jesus healed had been lame for 38 years. This guy had never walked in his life. He didn't know how to walk. His legs had not worked since he was a baby from birth. And it says he was being carried. Can you imagine living in such a way that to get from place to place, you had to be carried? He's completely dependent. And it said they laid him daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Now, let me tell you, this gate was huge and it was beautiful. It was one of the main entrances to the temple. It's where all the people passed when they were coming in to pray. 
And they laid him there, the Bible said, to ask alms, to ask for money to survive. And it was a good place because the crowds were coming by. And people who are of a mind to worship God and to pray are also of a mind to help people who are in need. And this was a guy who was truly in need. He was not a guy who wouldn't work. He was a guy who couldn't work. He was a guy who completely relied on the support of the community. So the right thing to do as you entered into worship would be to help this guy. They laid him at one of the most beautiful places in all Jerusalem. This was a gate at the main, one of the main entrances to the temple, and it was huge. Let me tell you how huge it was. It was about 65 feet wide. This room is 80 feet wide. Come in about 10 feet on either side, and that's how wide that gate is. It was also about twice as tall as this room. This ain't Grandpa's gate. It was brass inside, plated with gold and silver. Let me tell you, that was an expensive gate. It was a heavy gate. It took 20 men to open it and close it. And right beside this huge, beautiful picture of the glory of God, laid a man who had never walked. It was an incredible sight. Beautiful gate, and laying beside it, a pitiful man who was carried daily. The disciples had a regular schedule for prayer. This man had a regular schedule for begging. He was laid there every day, and all he could do was ask for alms. But I want you to understand this. In the regular schedule of prayer and the regular schedule of blessing, God had an appointed time for healing. Here's what I want you to get here. In the middle of your routine, God's got appointed times to do things. In the middle of your so-called mundane schedule, God wants to show up with some God moments to do some things in your life that you never could do by yourself. Verse 3 through 5, it said, He, the man, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look on us. Do you see what's happening here? There's something powerful about those words. Uh, the King James says he fastened his eyes on him with John. They looked at him intently. It's like all of a sudden there was a God moment. Here's an interesting thing to think about. This gate was a regular place of traffic for the Jews all the time. And Peter and John had been through that gate a bunch of times. Let me blow your mind. Jesus had walked by this man a bunch. Jesus himself had walked by this guy a bunch. I don't know why Jesus hadn't already healed him. If you get the idea that Jesus went everywhere healing everybody in sight, that's the wrong idea because he didn't heal everybody. He said, I can't do that on my own. I can only do what I see the Father doing. I believe Jesus still heals the sick. And I believe he wants to do more of it. I'm seeing people out here that he healed. Raise that hand up there. He still heals the sick right there. Amen. That does not mean I can walk into a hospital and heal everybody that's in there. I can simply do what I see the Father doing. And in this God moment, Peter and John said, boom. It's a God moment. 
Something happened in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Remember what we said last week, when you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, those moments, you know in your heart, this is a God moment. They fastened his eyes, their eyes on him. And the man, it says in verse 5, he fixed his attention on them. Now we know why he did. He's like, yep, there's prospect. He's going to lay a $10 bill on me. I don't believe they actually had dollars back then, but work with me. They fixed their eyes on the man. The man fixed their eyes on him saying, I'm going to get some money. First thing Peter says is, I ain't got no money. If you came to a church for perfect grammar, you might as well look elsewhere. (laughs) Peter said, silver and gold have I none. The man's looking for an offering, and the first thing Peter says is, I don't have money. And like, what? Why am I even dealing with you? But here's what Peter said. But what I have, I give to you. It's a God moment. Have you ever had a God moment? You ever had a moment in your life when you were going about your routine and all of a sudden God did something and you knew it was God? If you hadn't had a God moment, you're about to. How do you know, preacher? Because you're here. And because God's given you these words, and, and my prayer, our prayers, church leadership over you all, is that you will continually have God moments in your schedule. Some of you are going to have a God moment this week when God's just going to show up and say, I put you right here for this person right now. Had a God moment a couple years ago. I was driving down the Interstate 26, and I was on my way to church. And a guy's name just came to my mind, and I kept thinking about this guy, and I thought, I'm just going to give him a call. See, sometimes thoughts that come to your mind are keys to God moments. And I called him, and as soon as he heard my voice, he began to cry. And he said, Pastor, this is a God thing. He said, I needed somebody to call me right now. And he said, I really wanted you to call me, but I knew you were busy, and I didn't want to bother you. He said, but I needed to talk to you so much this morning, and I wouldn't call you. And at the exact moment I needed you most... You call me. I didn't have a vision from God that says, Thou shalt call this man now. I just thought of him. And it was a God moment. I knew God had done something. I've run into people. I've learned that coincidence is not coincidence. It's the hand of God. You'll meet somebody in the grocery store that's like, Wow, I was just thinking about you. God moment. Somebody will come up to you in need. God moment. I'm praying and believing for God moments to be in your life. That's how you manifest the kingdom. You get a hold of those God moments. There's two Greek words for time. One of them is chronos. Chronos means hours and days and seconds. And chronos is your calendar. How many have a calendar? How many live by a calendar? Can I see your hand? How many make to-do lists? How many are completely disorganized and you wing it every day and hope that you don't get caught? Praise God. Would y'all stand? We're all going to pray for y'all. And the ushers are going to escort y'all out. And uh, No. (laughs) I have to live by a calendar. Even living with a calendar, sometimes I miss things. 
I look at what appointments I have and who I need to call and what I need to do, and the calendar just stays so full that I missed up. I have to live by a calendar. Calendars can be so boring. Yeah, i got to go there again and do that again. That's chronos. Chronos is just incremental time that you measure out, and it's your daily schedule. And chronos sounds so boring. Thankfully, there's another Greek word for time, and it's called kairos. Now, this is a good one. You know what a kairos moment is? The Greek word for kairos means an appointed time. Specifically, when God appoints something that is to happen in a moment. Do you know God's got a calendar? When we give God our chronos, He gives us His kairos. You got that, didn't you? When we give God a place in our daily calendar, He will show up with God moments and do things through our lives that we could never dream for. If you'll just get up and say, God, today, but I say this a lot, but I'm going to keep on saying it. If you'll just get up in the morning, five minutes with God. Say, preacher, tell them they ought to preach an hour. From zero to five is a long jump. That's better than five to an hour. If you'll get up and give God five minutes and say, Jesus, this is your day. I am your servant. I give it all to you. Kairos will start showing up in your life. Because the Bible says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Just that simple moment of acknowledgement gets him to directing your path. And Kairos moments will show up in your Kronos life. Peter did this. This is what he said. Peter said to him, I have no silver and gold But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. You see, in the God moments, we confront broken humanity with kingdom authority. The man reaches out for money, and Peter says in essence to him, I'm not going to give you what you think you need. I'm going to give you what you really need. And what this man really needed was authority over the sickness that bound his life. Peter said, I'm not going to give you money so you can get out and eat another meal and stay lame. I'm going to take authority over your sickness in Jesus' name so that you can get up out of that place and never need to beg again. I'm going to speak authority over that sickness so you can go and become a productive member of society and earn a living and live a happy long life. The man's looking for something momentary and Peter was about to offer him something that would change the course of his life forever. The man needed authority. When he said, "In the," I just love it. He said, I'm giving you what I've got. Can I tell you this? You got to have it before you can give it. I said it and I liked it, so I'm going to say it again. You got to have it before you can give it. That means you have to submit to kingdom authority before you can exercise kingdom authority. Some of you that 
lead people? Have you ever had a person you led that wanted to exercise authority but didn't want to submit to it? They wanted to have power over other people but not bring themselves under authority that they're supposed to be under? How many of you know that's a problem? Leaders know that's a real problem? In the kingdom of God, we got to submit to His authority completely, and when we do, we can exercise His authority over the devil and over sickness. Thomas Aquinas was visiting many, many years ago. This was in the 1200s. He was visiting with Pope Innocent IV, and Pope Innocent was taking him around the Vatican and showing him the wealth of the Vatican. And, and my goodness, if you've never been to the Vatican, it's this incredible place. And you can just get overwhelmed by the treasure they have there. My wife and I toured that a few years ago, and it was unbelievable to see. Pope Innocent was taking Thomas Aquinas around and showing it all. And he kind of made a joke to him. He said this. He said, I can't say as the first pope did, silver and gold have I none. Kind of making a joke. Aquinas said this to him. He said, respectfully, sir, Neither can you say, rise up and walk. (laughs) See, if we surrender our authority and we don't walk under Jesus' authority, we don't have the authority over the devil. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, it probably shouldn't be one of my favorites, but I laugh at stuff sometimes that I probably shouldn't laugh at, but uh, one of my favorite stories is the guys in the book of Acts who go to try to cast out a demon. There's these seven guys, and they're, <laughs> they're these good old boys, you know, I guess. Uh, they seem that way to me, and they, they decide they're going to go cast out a demon. They're like, well, we hear Paul cast out demons in the name of Jesus, so we got these demon-possessed guy in this house. Let's go cast the devil out of him. <laughs> you can't do that. If you're not under the authority, you can't exercise the authority. So they go into the house. And they said this, they spoke to the demon and said, we, King James says, we adjure you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Can I just tell you something? If you go up against a demon, he better be your Jesus, not somebody else's. Amen. When you go up against Satan, you better be under the authority of the Jesus who's in authority over Satan. The demon spoke back to him, read it. Probably shouldn't be funny, but it's funny. They said this. They said, the demon said, Jesus, I know. You better believe it. And he said, and Paul, I know. Who are you? And that demon out of that man caused that man to beat up all seven of them. He literally beat the clothes off of them. It said they fled out of that house bloody and naked. I've been beat up before, but nobody's ever beat me till my clothes were beat off of me. No. What does that mean? You need to invite Jesus to be the Lord over every area of your life. Because if there's an area of your life not under the authority of Jesus Christ, that area hinders your power in being able to exercise the authority of Christ in your world. Can we just say yes to Jesus over everything in our lives? Can we just let Him be the King of our lives? When we do that, we can walk in His authority. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, in other words, by the authority of Christ, rise up and walk. Quickly, this is what Peter did. Peter didn't stand back and say, okay, we'll see how this works out. See you next week. 
And I love this. Man, in the New Testament, they weren't these weak kind of healings. They weren't these partial things that took two weeks to manifest. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the Bible said, he took him by the hand and lifted him up. To walk in this kind of authority requires great faith. Just tell you, you reach and pull a lame man up, you've got some faith. I believe in this generation, God's raising up some young people who are going to have that kind of faith. I believe in this generation, right here in Henderson County, God's raising up some young people who can walk down the streets of Hendersonville and say to lame men, get up in Jesus' name, and they're going to get up. Who can speak to blind eyes and they be opened in Jesus' name. You say, you're dreaming big, preacher. I'm just dreaming of what God's already done in the New Testament and what he's done in his church in subsequent ages. I'm believing Jesus can do it again. It requires great faith, but we're in a generation who's rising up with great faith. Amen. We're in a generation that's had it with weakness and powerlessness. Can I get an amen? We're in a generation that's had it with waffling and going back and forth and up and down. We're in a generation who says, live or die, I'm standing for Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm going to live for him. He reached and he picked him up. And the Bible says this, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. By the way, the author of the book of Acts who wrote this story was Luke, who was a physician, who was a doctor. He describes in medical terms, he got up and his feet and ankle bones received strength. Lastly, and I'm closing, I promise, this kind of faith brings great reward. This kind of authority brings great reward. Immediately, his legs, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And the Bible said this about him. He leapt up. You want to hear the power of this story? Rewind back to the start. He'd never walked before. This was more than a miracle of giving his muscles strength. God taught him to walk in an instant. He didn't stutter and fall down and get up like a baby learning to walk. He was leaping from the start. This man was doing a tomahawk dunk. It said he leaping up stood and walked and leapt. This guy's got a vertical. He's got hang time. The most beautiful part of this whole story to me is this part. He leapt up. This is so beautiful. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. Here's the beautiful part of it that just stirs my heart. And entered the temple with them. Here's what's beautiful about this. Lame people could not go into the temple. He had never been in there before. Nobody that was blind or lame or had these physical problems could go in. And for the first time in his life, he was healed. And the very first thing he wanted to do was go into that place that he'd never been and worship God with his community. And that is the most beautiful picture in this whole thing. Jesus healed him, and now he's part of the worshiping community of Israel to worship the true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that the point of it all? Make Jesus' authority manifest so people can come to know Him and be a part of His family. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, we love you and thank you for this day. And thank you for the opportunity to be together in this place, receiving from you. And I ask you today in Jesus' name, complete your work. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
you're here in this moment and you recognize it is your time, there's an appointed time for you. And for some of you listening today, right now is your appointed time to say yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe watching online today from wherever in the world you're joining us. So glad you're here today. This is more than just a church service. This is more than just hearing some guy preach. There's an appointed time for you to come to Jesus Christ. Today's your day to say yes to Him. I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. That's not what this is about. But right here, I just want you to acknowledge it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you say today, Pastor, it's my day. I'm saying yes to Jesus Christ. Can I see your hand right now? Can I see your hand in this building? Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. I think I saw three hands. Any more? Any more? Anybody else? Don't miss it. Anybody else? Amen. See you. God bless you. Amen. Awesome. Online. I just feel really stirred today about online. Somebody's watching online right now. Today's your day. Say yes to him. Say yes to him. How many would say also, Pastor? I want to invite those Kairos moments into my Kronos schedule. Can you just, can I see your hand? I want to invite those moments. I'm going to make Jesus a part of my Kronos so I can experience God's Kairos. Father, today in Jesus' name, thank you for your word that's powerful, that changes lives. And I ask you today, manifest yourself in these people's lives. We're going to pray together. Those that are saying yes to Jesus, would you just stand to your feet right now? We're going to pray together with you watching online and with several in this building today that are saying yes to Jesus. The church is going to help us pray. I invite you to pray with us. Lord Jesus, I ask you today, save me. Change me. Forgive me. Come into my life. Rush into my heart. Fill me with your presence, with your forgiveness. And with your joy, I turn away from sin. I turn to you. And I give my life to you. I have no strength. I have no ability to change my life. I make no promises. I just surrender. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we rejoice today? Matt, love this staff, love them, their sense of humor. Uh, praise God, it's been so good to be a part of this team. Good to be with you today. I want to speak blessing over your life. Before I do, dollars and cents comes next week. We're going to break off a mindset of scarcity. In fact, that's what I'm going to bless you with right now today, leading into next week. If any of you are dealing with, when you think about finances, fear grips your heart, we're going to break that off of you in the next few weeks. And when you think about finances, you're going to think, yippee, I get to bless people. I'm ready to preach next week. Y'all sit down. I'm just going to start, right? We're moving out of of a mindset of scarcity into a mindset of generosity. Amen? We're going to turn loose of some things and watch God multiply it in all kinds of powerful ways. I want to bless you with that this morning. Father, I speak over your people a week ahead of time. Generosity instead of scarcity. I come against the spirit of fear that has afflicted many people in this place in their financial life. The lies of the devil that says you're not going to have enough. Jesus, you are enough for all of us. 
And Lord, as we open our hearts to serve and bless you and bless our community, God, we can't even contain the blessings you're going to give. So I speak abundance and generosity over your people this week. Now go out of this place in Jesus' name and make him known. I commission you, I send you to take Jesus to your world. You're blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Love y'all so much. I look forward to seeing y'all next week. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.